Now, whether you understood it or not and whether you agreed with it all, there was a great movement of God in the Brownsville Revival. Now, it wasn't a Baptist revival, but you know, God does visit people beside Baptists, amen? But I attended and I spoke and I spent uh, considerable time with the pastor and with the revivalist, Brother Steve, that was there. And uh, we were talking about the excesses of that. And, and the pastor said to me, Brother Fred, about 70% of what you see here is God. About 30% is the flesh or the devil. But we, we, we try to deal with that. But we'll take the 70% that is of God and go with that. I said, Amen. Do you realize that 4.1 million people visited that church? 4.1 million. Have you ever been to Brownsville in Pensacola? It's the absolute worst part of town. Drug addiction, prostitution. What was it that drew 4.1 million people to that part of Pensacola from over 40 countries in the world? It was the presence of God. And the message was one of repentance. That was the message of it. And in the prophecy said there would be a message of repentance that would come uh, when God moved. And then also there would be an unveiling of the true Jesus. You see, there's another Jesus being preached today and another gospel. But a part of it was there's going to come the untarnished, absolutely clear vision of Jesus Christ. It's going to be presented and people are going to see Jesus as he really is. I don't believe that part has been fulfilled yet. But a third part, and this is where uh, we come in as a church, that a part of this prophecy was there was going to be a prayer mountain. And, when, and as I was talking to the, the individuals about this, they said basically what God was saying is that across the Gulf Coast, there's going to be a prayer movement, a great movement of prayer. And it has not yet occurred. Part of it has been fulfilled, but there has been no great movement of prayer across the Gulf Coast. And that as a result of that, God was going to raise up 700 mighty witnesses that would have an impact on the Gulf Coast. My spirit bears witness, but let me tell you what God said to me. He said, he gave me the mandate that I am to lead and to take the lead in uh, God bringing a movement of prayer on the Gulf Coast. Now, I don't need anything else to do. I've got plenty to do. You say, you don't work too hard at Luke 418. I know I don't. I really don't. Uh, the only time I, you know, most of the time I'm relaxing and I don't get through, so I relax some more. But anyway, <laughs> but he basically said to me, I, I want you to take on this challenge of a movement of prayer. And on the Gulf Coast, I mean from Crestview all the way to Gulfport. And I said, all right, Lord. And boy, this has been strong on me. I mean, really strong on me. And I said, Lord, don't you let me say a word about it unless it's of you. You shut my mouth this morning. But I know. But see, for, for, for us, for me to be used by God, and I'm nobody, but I know a mighty God. Amen? For me to be used by God, then we've got to model that at Luke 4.18. I can't talk about a movement of prayer 
unless there's a movement of prayer in our body of Christ at Luke 4.18. You say, well, Brother Fred, how do you see God causing a movement of prayer among the people of God from Crestview all the way to Gulfport? I have no idea how God's going to do it. So we've got to model it. In other words, it's got to be a reality for us before we can say to others, there needs to be a movement of prayer in your city, a movement of prayer in your church. So I'm, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God that he will do that. Now, you say, well, how are we going uh, to approach it in Luke 4.18 as far as a movement of prayer in our church? Well, we're going to ask God to show us exactly how. You, you don't have to know how God is going to do it. You just have to know God's going to do it, and you have to know that he wants you to be a part of it. So I want you to begin praying right now that God would do a great movement of prayer in our church, Luke 4.18, and that it'll spread from Crestview all the way to Gulfport, and there will be a mighty movement of prayer along the Gulf Coast that will result in the 700 that are going to be a flame for God and God's going to use them and for the churches that are going to be revived as a part of this. You know, you know, I've said long, many, many, many times, you can do a lot of things after you pray, but you can't do anything until you do pray. And so this morning, I just want to talk to you about prayer. Look at Psalm 42, and I want you to look at verse 1. And so you be praying that God will show us how. Not only in Luke 4.18, but how across the Gulf Coast to see this mighty movement of prayer among the people of God. In Psalm 42, verse 1, you know, a great thing. As the deer pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul after you, O God. And he goes on to say that I might see you. And, and, and you know what that talks about is this. He said, God, I have, I, I, I'm in a passionate pursuit of you. He said, I'm passionately pursuing you, O God. As a deer pants for the water brook, my soul thirsts for you. It thirsts for you, O God. And that I might see you in all your glory and all of your, and, and all of your, of your praise. I love the way it says, as a deer pants for the water brooks, so pants for my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So here's the first thing I want you to understand about prayer. And you know it, but I want to say it. Prayer, the object of prayer is God himself. The object of prayer is not the answer. The object of prayer is God himself. He said, Lord, I am thirsty for you, O God. When will I see you, the living God, in all your glory? So the object of prayer is God himself. And the same thing is true in Psalm 63, uh, verse 1. He says the same thing, but in a different way. You are my God. Listen to this. Early will I seek you. You know, thirst. Do we understand thirst? My soul thirst for you. God, I have a passionate pursuit for you, a passionate desire for you. God, you're the object of my prayers. It's not the answer that's the object. You're the object of my prayers. And there's a passionate pursuit 
for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And I want to tell you, we're living in a dry and thirsty land. And he says, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. The object of God is of prayer is God himself. So when you pray, man, you've got to realize, Lord, now, it's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. Let me tell you, I've seen this many times, but I saw it in a totally different way this week. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, how it starts. You see, I'm saying the object of prayer is God. You know how it starts? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Jesus said, listen, when you pray, you remember the object of your prayer is the Father. And it's for His name. And it's for His glory. And it's for His kingdom. So when you drop to your knees to pray or pray when you're just walking about your house, you've got to realize that you are absolutely pursuing the living God. You have a passionate pursuit for God himself. One of the great writers on prayer is Andrew Murray. I, I don't like to read things, but I tried my best to, uh, to, to, to memorize this, but uh, that's kind of hard when you can't remember your name. But any, anyway, listen to what he said about how prayer is turning your heart toward God. Turning to God according to your inward, our inward feeling, inward want and action of heart, and turning to God in love, in trust, in faith, of having from him all that we want and need. This turning to God, now listen to this, with or without words. You know, you can pray without saying a word. This turning to God with or without words is the best form of prayer in the world. When the heart really pants after God, its prayer is moved and animated by the Spirit of God. So let's realize now that we've got a tremendous privilege. We can talk to God, and God can talk to us. And the object of all prayer is God himself. But I want to move on and talk to you about the costly privilege of prayer. It was a very costly thing for you and I to have the privilege of talking personally and intimately to a holy and righteous God. So how, how, how was it made possible that you and I, the finite, could talk and passionately pursue God, the infinite? How was it that we could do that? Well, the Bible's absolutely clear. Only through the blood of Christ can we passionately pursue God. And you see, it costs Jesus his own blood for us to be able to pray. Over in Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to listen to this. It's powerful words. It tells us why we have that. It says here, why, why can I pray with confidence? Why can you pray with confidence? Why can you pray with boldness? Why can you do that? Let, let me tell you one thing. I know exactly what the devil does. When you get ready and you start praying. Now remember, you're praying, your object of your prayer is God, who knows everything about you, 
The hairs on your head are numbered. He knows when you sit down. He knows when you rise up. He knows when you go here or you go there. So you're talking about to someone, you're totally 100% transparent before him. And so you get ready, you start to pray. And the enemy says, well, listen, you're not holy enough to pray. You're not righteous enough to pray. You're not good enough to pray. Now, God may hear the prayer of others, but he won't hear your prayers. Because, you know, you messed up about two weeks ago, or you messed up yesterday, or you messed up today. Now, you're wasting God's time, and you're wasting your time. Now, don't misunderstand me. We are to pray from an obedient heart, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But I want to tell you, the privilege of you being able to pray was purchased and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And I tell you, I can pray with confidence and with authority, expecting God, not because of my goodness, but because of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm telling you, you've got a tremendous privilege, and it costs Jesus his life for you and I to be able to talk to God in an intimate and personal way. Listen to what it says. I love this. Therefore, brethren... Having boldness to enter the holiest, God's very presence, through the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. A new and living way which is consecrated for us through the veil. And having a high priest over the house of God. Listen to this. Let us draw near. Just draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Your heart's been sprinkled from an evil conscience and your body's been washed with pure water. Let me tell you something. It cost God, it cost Jesus his life and he shed blood for us to be able to have access to the throne of God and to pray with confidence and boldness. It's a costly privilege of prayer. But secondly, a part of this costly privilege of of prayer is not only that it cost Jesus his blood, But here's the thing. We have somebody that is our high priest. Somebody that's our high priest uh, who prays for us and prays with us. Not only do we have access through the cross and through the precious blood of Jesus. And we come boldly to God with our request as we pursue him. But listen to what it says in Hebrews 4. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, you you see what he's saying here? Man, we've got a great high priest who passed through the heavens. He's in the presence of God, interceding for us. And, And just remember this, that Jesus knows you. He knows everything you go through. He knows everything you've been through. So you're not going to catch God by surprise. It says here, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Are you listening to me? You don't have to be perfect to pray. You have to be obedient to pray, but you don't have to be perfect to pray. Why am I saying that? Because the devil's a liar. He'll try to keep you from praying because saying, listen, you're not good enough. You said, I'm not approaching God on my goodness. I'm approaching God on the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm approaching God through my great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who understands me and who was in all points tempted like I am, yet without sin. And it says that, it says, since we have a great high priest who understands us, 
Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Did you hear what he said? Man, you can pray with authority. You can pray with confidence. You, you can turn your heart toward God. You can passionately pursue God. And you can do it with confidence because Jesus Christ shed his blood. You can do it with confidence because you've got a great high priest who represents you to the Father. But you know, you can do it confidently because of the authority of the name of Jesus. I'm talking about the costly privilege of prayer. It cost Jesus the perfect sacrifice on the cause. It cost him his precious blood. And that costly privilege is now because of what he did. Jesus is our high priest. And through him we pray. And through him we just come with boldness into the presence of God. And then Jesus gave us some great promises. That we, when we pray in the authority of his name, that things are going to happen. It says here in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what he says. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, he will do it. So here you are in fellowship with Jesus. You're in fellowship with him. He's your Savior and he's your Lord. As far as you know, you're walking in obedience to God. And if you're not, God will convict you. But then when you pray, you say, listen, I'm praying in the name of Jesus. Well, I'll tell you one thing. That shuts up the devil and that shuts up the demons of hell because Jesus won the victory on them over the cross. And he said, if you ask anything in my name, if you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. So we're praying in the authority of the name of Jesus. Listen, it's not me down here trying to be good enough to pray. Listen, the price has already been paid for me to pray. And the privilege to pray has already been bought and purchased for by Jesus Christ. And now we have the authority of his name. And in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. In John 16, verse 33, John 16, Jesus said, let me find verse 33. Here it is. The things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. And then he went on and said, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it for you. Okay. I've talked about the object of prayer. God himself. The passionate pursuit of God. I've talked about the costly privilege of prayer. The blood of Christ. the loving high priest that we have, and the authority of praying in Jesus' name. But now, let me talk to you about the confidence that we have in prayer. I've touched it, but I'll talk to you about the confidence. You know, here's the confidence that we have in prayer. That we have a heart that is totally surrendered to God. Now, if I want to talk to my wife... And if I want to talk and have a conversation with her, I, I want to be sure that we're right with each other. You know what I mean? It's hard for some of you to talk to your wife when you're not right with her and she's not right with you. You, you can't 
communicate because of your uh, emotions and, and stuff like that. So really to have a good conversation, you've you got to be on, on the right uh, level ground. Everything's got to be all right. Okay. Now when we pray, and if we're going to pray with confidence, we've got to have a heart that is totally surrendered to God. You, now, you get down to praying, now, Lord, you know that I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, you're not Lord of my life here. You know I'm not letting you be Lord of my life here. And you know, Lord, I'm having my own way here. And, Lord, you know I'm doing my own thing here. And, Lord, you know I've got this secret sin in my life. But it doesn't matter, Lord. I, I'm, I'm going to pray. Well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You've got to get, you get on praying ground. You've got to get on praying ground. And that you've got to have a heart that is totally surrendered to God. And by the way, that's moment by moment. That's not once and for all, moment by moment. You've got to have a heart that is totally surrendered to God. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to Romans chapter 6. Let me show you what I mean about being totally surrendered to God so that we can pray with confidence and authority. Romans chapter 6. And I want you to look down at verse 11. Now here it talk, it's talking about presenting, and, and another word for that is yielding, all right? It says in verse 11 of Romans 6, because of our being one with Christ in his death, it says, Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but to be alive to God. You went to the cross with Jesus. He put your sin nature to death. And so therefore, he, you died with him. You were raised with him. Likewise, reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. And he goes on and says, verse 13. Now, don't miss this. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. The word there is yield. And do not yield your members, your brain, your eyes, your ears, your tongue, your hands, your feet, your heart. Do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Now listen to this. But yield yourself to God. Now I, I, I can understand that. I can understand that. He said, listen, don't you yield your members to be instruments of sin. You yield your mind and your eyes and your tongue and your hands and your feet and your heart. You yield that to God. Yield yourself to God as one who is alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. All right, you go on down there and you look at a couple of other verses. Look at verse 17. He says, but God be thanked, though you were slaves of sin, you have obeyed from your heart the form of doctrine which you were delivered. He said, you used to be a slave of sin, but no, now you're a slave of righteousness. You're a slave of God. And he goes on and says in verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you become a slave, yielded, wholly surrendered, a slave of righteousness. And then in verse 22, he says, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you now have fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. I'm telling you, you've got to have a heart surrendered wholly to God. You've got to yield yourself to God. Nobody else can do it for you. It's moment by moment. It's day by day. But if you're going to pray and see God move heaven and earth, I'm telling you, you've got to have a heart that is wholly surrendered to the Lord. Now, 
out of a heart that's wholly surrendered to the Lord comes a life of obedience. Now, I want you to listen to this verse in 1 John 3, 22. And we know that we have those things that we ask of him because we keep his commandments and do what is pleasing in his sight. That couldn't be any clearer. He said, I know God's going to answer my prayer because I'm obeying him. And I'm doing that which is pleasing in his sight. And so out of a heart that is surrendered comes a life of obedience, a life of obedience. I know God's going to answer my prayers because I, I do those things. I keep his commandments and I do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I know that. And, and, and out of my surrender, I'm living a life of obedience. Well, then I, I've talked to you about the object of prayer, God himself. You're seeking him. You have a passionate pursuit for him. And I've talked to you about the great price that Jesus paid so that we could pray with confidence and that so that we could pray with boldness. It was his own blood. And then I've talked to you about the fact that the confidence in prayer comes from a life that is wholly surrendered to God and a life that as far as you know, you're living in obedience. But here's the third thing on that. A life of dependence on the Holy Spirit. You know what it says in Ephesians 6, 18? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Making, persevering and making supplication for the saints. You see, we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we're surrendered. Yes, by the power of God in us, we're obeying. But then we're totally dependent on the Lord Jesus. Totally on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, anoint me to pray. Holy Spirit, empower me to pray. Holy Spirit, direct me in my prayers. It's total dependence on the Holy Spirit. I'd like to take just a moment and read you a letter from prison. You know, I read this yesterday, and I tell you, this, this, this man, he's understood. He knows the truth. I think he's been in jail about five years now. He was raised on the streets, got saved, was doing great, had a beautiful wife, still does, beautiful daughter. One day in a period of depression, he took uh, a number of prescription pills and uh, then went driving and was not in control and ran a red light and ran into a young uh, lady and her car and she was killed. So he was sentenced to 18 years in prison for vehicular manslaughter. So that's a long time. Of course, he gets time off for all that he's doing. But I want you to listen. See, he, he's got it. He knows that he's totally dependent on God. In other words, if, if the body of Christ understood this, in America, I guarantee there'd be revival in the church. Listen to what he says. He says, sorry it's been so long to write. It's been on my heart for a while to write. I continue to watch Luke 4.18. And I pray for you all every day. You'll never know how much these sermons mean to me. Finally, I finally met a man who's been, who had four, five and a half year, five and a fourth years. Boy, he loves the Lord and he's ecstatic. It's so good to meet somebody like that, but he's getting out. Such a joy. 
He leaves in two weeks. Now, listen to what he says. He wants to be something for God. Now, listen to what this guy. I'm trying to teach him about the vine and the branch relationship. Now, this is Tom. He says, I'm trying to teach this guy about the vine and the branch relationship. It's taken me years to realize it. That you have to say, Lord, it took me years to realize, say, Lord, I can't live it. I can't live it. You need to live it through me. Now, listen, how many people do you know who are trying to live the Christian life in their own power? Who've never come to the understanding that they can't live it. That Jesus has to live his life through them. I'm coming to a very desperate place in my life. While I find myself helpless and needy. I hear so many things uh, here from the inmates. What I hear a lot is this. You've got to live it. <laughs> Listen to what he said. I immediately tell them, I can't live it. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They look like at me like I'm telling them something wrong. I don't know exactly where I am, but I'm looking to the Lord. A while back, you talked about being fruitful in John 15, that when we're frustrated, we're not always fruitful. The Lord had to produce his fruit. It, all right, now listen to this. You've got to know this about walking in obedience to God and being able to pray with confidence. He said, it's a supernatural walk. And I have to have supernatural help. Wow. He may be in prison, but he sure is free. I want you to know that. He's understood that it's Christ in him. That it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, my wife has been uh, picking up on some of the things you said and said, she nailed me the other day. She said, listen, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Man, if people realize how helpless we are, how needy we are, and how without Christ. He says, I, 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 I've asked the Holy Spirit to help me write this letter. I'm trying to sort it out. <laughs> and then he says, I love this. I'm not, all, I'm, I'm not saying I've arrived, but I'm listening. Now listen, if we're going to pray with power, we can't come before God with this idea, well, I'm good enough and, and, I, and, I, and I've got enough brownie points with God. We've got to come with the understanding that we're totally dependent on Jesus who lives in us. We're totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. And that if we're going to pray with power, it's got to be the Holy Spirit through us. Well, let me close by saying this, that prayer leads to real spiritual growth. When you spend time in prayer, and I will talk to you about that, then you, 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 you soon have a life of prayer. Somebody said, well, I, I wish I could have a life of prayer. Well, when you spend some time in prayer, you soon have a life of prayer. Let me tell you what that means. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, now listen to these words, pray without ceasing. We all know that's humanly impossible if we're going to say, well, I've got to be constantly thinking a prayer, constantly praying a prayer. I've got to be constantly alone with God, constantly on my knees, constantly in my God. But you see, let me tell you what happened. When you spend time in prayer, then you, you have a life of prayer. And it becomes supernaturally natural. And you find yourself, having spent time in prayer, 
to, be, to begin to having a life of prayer, and you find yourself praying about everything. Good or bad, you just find yourself praying, just in your spirit. I, I thought this morning about um, two things. I, I thought about uh, a tragic death and when a friend, uh, I think they were high on drugs, shot and killed another friend. And how I thought about that, I said, and I, I thought about the, the boy's parents that did the killing. And so I just started praying for his parents. Lord, I, I know that they're going through a hard place, but Lord, I want you to help them. Then, then I started praying for the uh, uh, parents of the guy who did the killing. You see, I could have just thought about that, but why not pray for those people? Why not pray for them? You see, if you spend time in prayer, you'll soon have a life of prayer. And then I thought about another one. And this is going to shock you, but I'm just going to tell you how it is. I, I thought about that black boy that um, cut the throat of, 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 of a policeman down at the jail and how he went over off the Dolphin Island Parkway and they hunted him down and shot him and killed him. Well, I thought about his family. I, I don't know anything about his family. But I know they must be going through hell. So I prayed for their family. And then I prayed for the family of the policeman that was killed. You see, if you spend time in prayer, you'll develop a life of prayer. And you find yourself praying for people. I thought about the, the murder of the Myrie boy down in Midtown. And I, I said, and then, then, so, you, so you pray for his father and mother. And then the four young men that did it, well, you, you know, they all, they're in jail for the rest of their lives. Perhaps they could get saved. But you, but you can pray for their family. Friend, listen. Prayer is not getting on your knees for 15 minutes in a closet and I'm through. Prayer is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. And when you spend time in prayer, you soon have a life of prayer. And find yourself praying for people in every situation. People you know and people that you don't know. You see, when, when bad things come up, and ha when, when things that are tragic and bad come into your life, what do you do? You pray about them and trust God. When good things come into your life, what do you do? You pray about them and you thank God. I'll tell you, it'll revolutionize us and revolutionize the church if we understand that spiritual growth comes through prayer. It's when we learn to live a lifestyle of prayer that that's where our lives are really changed. And you know what that helps us do? It helps us see things from God's perspective. See, we're not seeing things with the eyes of the world, but we begin to see things with God's perspective. And if we'll just find ourselves praying for people, we may hate what they're doing, but we pray for them that somehow God would turn it around. You see, it's not going to do anything to condemn them. We've got to pray for them. And so I'm just simply saying that I believe that we will see a great movement of God at Luke 4.18. And on the Gulf Coast, if we will live a lifestyle of prayer. And how that God can teach us to do that and how we can do it in our church 
And how we can model it, I don't know, but God will show us. But then how we can help it somehow, God can use us just as feeble instruments to challenge churches all the way from Crestview to the other side of Gulfport to get involved in a prayer movement. A real genuine prayer movement where we are, the object of our prayers are God. And we're going after God with our whole heart. God has given us our television ministry that goes from Destin, Florida, all the way over into Mississippi. That is one vehicle, one avenue that we can use. But there are other ways that we can use by having prayer conferences and things to involve people in a life of prayer. And let me tell you one thing about prayer. Prayer always makes you active. Prayer causes you to love the poor and to minister to the poor and care about the poor and do everything you can for the poor. Love causes you, prayer causes you to reach out to the wicked and to the ungodly and to the sinful. You see, prayer is the heart of God and God has a heart for the poor and God has a heart for the lost. And I'm telling you, when you are talking to God in prayer, God's heart becomes your heart. You can do a lot of things after you pray. But you can't do anything until you do pray. Let me read this last scripture. Luke 11 verses 5 through 9. I want to encourage you to pray and not give up. To pray and not give up. So many times we pray and we just say, well, Jesus has just taught them the Lord's Prayer. In Luke verses 1 and 4. But now listen to what Jesus said. He's telling us, don't give up. Persevere in prayer. Prevail in prayer. I want you to listen to Jesus. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? You go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. That's midnight. Now, midnight. And a friend is, some unexpected people have dropped by at midnight. You're welcome to come see me, but not at midnight. But anyway, they came by at midnight, and he, he didn't have anything to give them. So he goes next door to his neighbor and says, listen, uh, a friend of mine has come to me on this journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me, for the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise, and I cannot give to you. I just can't do it. I'm sorry. I say to you. Though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of your persistence, you keep saying, no, I know you got the kids in the bed with you, but you got to get up and you got to come give me some bread. Well, I can't, no, I'm, no, I'm not going to take no for an answer. He says, through his persistence, he will rise and give you as much as he needs. That's called prevailing in prayer. And then listen to what the next thing Jesus says. I'm reading his words. So I say to you, Keep on asking. Keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. Jesus said, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. He said, prevail in prayer. Prevail in prayer. For if a son asks bread from a father among you, he's not going to give him a serpent. How much more will your heavenly father give you what you ask for him?